Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 4, Term 4. This is Lesson 33. We are dealing with the man with the withered hand. This began in Chapter 16 and Page 9. And uh, we move forward from there. And what I want to do, just to catch us all up, I'll, I'll just read from Matthew 12, 9, which is on page 11. Uh, it says, Now when he had departed from there, remember that is the grain field again on the Sabbath, he went into their synagogue. One of the things that uh, Luke tells us is that he entered the synagogue and taught. So he not only went into their synagogue, but he actually taught there as well. And it, and it goes on to say, Behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. Now I'm on the bottom of page 11, turning over. I'll let you catch up. Verse 7, So the scribes and Pharisees, I'm on page 12, So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. Uh, Once again, I think it's just incredible that it wasn't if he can heal, but whether he would heal, when they couldn't do anything. They got to the stage where they were just taking things for granted now. Interesting, isn't it? All right. And in verse 8, I'm on page 13. Actually, no, let me just jump over the page to page 13 and then 14. It says, But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had a withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Verse 9. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful? I'm on page 14. Is it lawful? On the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy, or as Mark puts it, or to kill. <laughs> he was making a very strong point there. Because they got to the place where they were being so critical that he basically had to go to something very basic and ask them a basic question. In all of your rules, in all of your regulations, let me ask you one thing. Is it right to do good or bad on the Sabbath. Remember, Sabbath was meant to honor God. So what is the normal answer to that? You do good on the Sabbath to honor God. Because you know, doing bad doesn't make God happy at all. Amen? And so what he's doing is he's really trying to help them to see the error of their ways and how wrong all of their rules had become. Amen? And so... I want to continue in page 15, which is where we left off. I I, I really want to jump forward really quickly to where we left off. In his commentary, William Hendrickson writes, The Lord had urged Israel to use the Sabbath for the very purpose for which Jesus was here, now, and always using it. Nevertheless, I'm on the top of the page 15, Nevertheless, it was with Him that men who were supposed to be experts in the law were finding fault. Isn't that incredible? So he was doing the right thing. Amen? And he was doing what was always meant to be done throughout the ages, whatever the Sabbath day was. In fact, any day of the week. And may I just say this, and especially on the Sabbath. (laughs) Amen? Alright? It just seems like it was the exact opposite for these people. Which really tells you something, doesn't it? And so let's return back to Mark chapter 3. Actually, let me make one more comment. Notice he is doing the right thing. And because he is doing the right thing, they are having an issue with him for doing the right thing. Amen? Not just doing the right thing. Did you got that? Okay. So, yeah, which is so, it's not just the fact that he's doing the right thing, but they're having a problem with him. 
doing the right thing. <laughs> okay? So return to Mark chapter 3, following the question in verse 4 again, where Jesus asks, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? It goes in the same now in the latter half of that verse, but they kept silent, obviously. Okay? To this, John MacArthur writes, the Pharisees refused to answer Jesus' question, and by their silence, implied that their Sabbath views and practices were false. Amen? Alright, if only they had humbled themselves and repented, there would have been immediate forgiveness, compassion and restoration. But sadly, they would not. And so it goes on to say in Mark chapter 3 verse 5, And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Isn't that interesting that Jesus was angry with them because of the hardness of their hearts? Amen? Let me just say this. We need to understand that there are times that it's okay to be angry. Okay, when, when, when Jesus here shows us when one of those times is. Now, we can't be angry all the time, <laughs> okay? And we can't be saying we're like Jesus and angry all the time, all right? Because he wasn't, okay? In fact, one of the things that we're going to find out later on when, when we travel through the life of Jesus a little bit more, uh, the religious leaders are going to have an issue with him because he's so happy, Okay, <laughs> so they're, you know, they're going to say, well, he's always having, we'll see this, because we're going to run into a couple of verses. Can I jump ahead for a bit? Just give you a little bit of insight? Okay. You know, hopefully before the rapture comes, we'll get to that verse. But, <laughs> you know, but, but it's very interesting that he, he, say, he comes to a place where he says, what shall I liken this generation unto? You know, and he says, he talks about children in a, in, in a yard, and he talks about, you know, if they did something happy, they complain about it. If they did something sad, they complain about it. And so, in that way, he actually makes a reference to John the Baptist, who was kind of living a, living a very Spartan life. He was, you know, eating, what was it, um, uh, locusts and wild honey, and out there in the wilderness, you know. Uh, and, and, and then there was Jesus... Okay, on the other side, he was having dinner, you know, with Matthew the tax collector. And there was all these questionable people that would come and talk to him. And Zacchaeus in the tree and all the sort of things that were going on. And so he was, a, he was more joyful. In fact, remember some of uh, John the Baptist's disciples said, how come you don't fast and stuff? <laughs> remember that? Okay. And, and Jesus said, when the bridegroom, he said, right now the bridegroom is here amongst you. Remember all that stuff? Okay, all good stuff. We, we dealt with all this before. And he said, when he's gone, they will. Okay. Because <laughs> he knew that there was coming. So what we, what we sort of see here is that Jesus had a bit of a reputation for having a good time. Isn't that interesting? He was the sort of person that would get involved with people. He would go into their houses. He would recline. You know, he'd be like, yeah, you know, with the grapes and everything, but not like that. But okay, he would just relax. While John the Baptist is out there calling everybody to repentance and being really stern and, you know, people bringing fruit and he goes, oh, don't think that's going to get you into heaven. You know, that kind of attitude. There's Jesus having, you know, sitting back and having a drink. Without doing all the wrong things, okay? But he was, his, his life was very different. Amen? And so, this is, you know, you need to understand that when he gets angry, this isn't sort of like John the Baptist getting angry. You all know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> you know? John the Baptist kind of always, almost, almost angry all the time, you know? That's why he sort of told, uh, was it Herod? About sleeping with his brother's wife and, and, and who put him into, you know, cut his head off. It didn't go well for him. But anyway, <laughs> you know, but that was John the Baptist. This is Jesus. So I want you to understand something. Here's a man who loved life. 
Amen? And who was willing to sort of... He would forgive people for all kinds of things. I mean, he was so forgiving. So why is he getting angry? And we need to recognize this, we need to identify this, and also ask ourselves, if we're not getting angry for the same reasons he is getting angry, why aren't we? If we're getting angry when he's happy, why are we? We need to make adjustments. Amen? All right. That's the reason I bring all this out. You know, in amongst what's going on, we need to see beyond the words. We need to see beyond just what's going on to what, what, what's at the heart of all of this. Amen? All right. So, why is he angry? Because somebody is stopping a miracle from happening. Someone is objecting to someone being healed. Can you believe that? Now, if it was some Pharisee that had this problem, they'd be thrilled to get healed. They wouldn't care what day of the week it was. Are you with me? But it's not them, see? It's someone else. So we can play with laws and rules and be, you know, just uh, distant from what's actually going on. Removed from real life. Whereas Jesus saw the hurt, He saw the pain. And He dealt with it on a very real level. So, it says, And when He had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, the phrase hardness of their hearts refers to the inability to understand because of a rebellious attitude. Did you get that? The inability to understand because of a rebellious attitude. With John MacArthur saying that the Pharisees' hearts were becoming more and more obstinate and unresponsive to the truth. See, this is something that we all need to be careful of as well. And that is sometimes what happens is, you know, when somebody says something that might hurt you, it, because it's true, okay, we, we need to really learn not to go on the defensive, but to ask ourselves, do we need to change? Maybe it was done the wrong way, but it still comes back to us with the question. There, there was a time when, you know, <laughs> I would change if they did it nicely. But if they did it the wrong way, then I don't want to change. Who knows what I'm talking about? You know, because you don't want them to get the credit for you changing the way they are. So are you kidding? <laughs> okay, seriously, I mean, let's just be honest with this. You just don't want that. And so, you know, you, you, you just get rebellious. Be careful when you do that because, you know... What, what might you know, start out as being, okay, yeah, they were really stinkers when the way they asked you and the way they pointed their finger and you know, the way in which they did it. Okay, it was not a right thing. But in you coming against it, in you saying, no, I'm not going to change, the next time somebody asks you nicely, you might have the same response. Because you're starting to sear your conscience. You're starting to do exactly what this is talking about. Getting to a place where after a while, you don't care who tells you what, you're not changing because that's just the way you are. I did it my way. You know what I'm trying to say? Oh, okay. Okay. As a result, Jesus was extremely displeased with these religious leaders who were showing themselves to be terribly insensitive, cold-hearted ritualists who were more interested in their rules and regulations than the well-being of human beings. There it is. Okay. Continuing on, this time in Matthew's Gospel, it goes on to say in Matthew 12, 11, then he, <laughs> then he said to them, What man is there among... You know, I don't know if I would have spent so much time with them. Can I be honest? Yeah, I want you to see something here. He's mad because he cares. 
He cares that they are meant to be setting an example, and they're setting the wrong example. He's mad because they were meant to be the ones that, were, that held the, you know, the, the, the oracles of God, the holy scriptures, until He came. And He was meant to show them how all to use that. Like I said before, I honestly believe with all of my heart, that had they responded to Him the way they should have, they would have learned how to lay hands on the sick and watch Him recover. Because He sent out His disciples and they did exactly that. Are you with me now? I've dealt with this before, so I won't go back into it. But see, that's what he wanted. This is why he's angry. Because he's seeing the potential of what they could have been, what they should have been doing. Their synagogues would have been full out the doors. Because they would have learned some stuff. Man, I mean, they would have... (laughs) Something about Jesus inspires faith in you if you allow it. And he would have said, this is how you do it, boys. Watch. Watch and learn. Amen? And they would have done it and they thought, wow, this is actually working. This is great. Can I say this? Jesus would have stepped back. See, Jesus is respectful. He wouldn't go into some man's synagogue and, you know, heal somebody, not show him what to do. You know what I mean? And if he was in that synagogue and they were able to do it, he would back off and let them work. Are you with me? He would have been there. He would have just said, you go ahead, I'll be back here, don't worry. Anything goes wrong, I'll take care of it. <laughs> you know, I honestly believe that's how he would have been with them. He would have been their best friend, man. And I, I, all the people would have started responding to them in a very different way. Because Jesus would have spoken to them and said, you know boys, can I just talk to you about your sermons now? Everybody's falling asleep. You know, <laughs> make it a little bit more relatable. See where they're at. Talk to them. Don't talk at them, talk to them. See whether, you know, look into their eyes, look at their faces, see if they're nodding or they're kind of going all glazed and you lost them somewhere. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you're getting through to them, well, guess what? They're going to come back next week with people. Because remember, people are waiting to go to church back then. It's not kind of like the situation we have here. They're just people, you know, I mean, they're all there. Are you here? And so I, I honestly believe that... The, uh, sorry for taking a bit of time here, but I just want to show you something. I want you to understand why he's angry. I really do want you to see this. If he didn't care, he would have just gone, oh, whatever, and walked off. You get angry when you care. You all here? Okay. And so I believe that he would have been... At a, you know, he would have taught all of the, 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 the ministers in the synagogue how to preach better sermons, how to heal... How to do all kinds of things. How to get everything right on the Sabbath. That all the rules are just messed up. Fix it. So that the people will you know, breathe a sigh of relief and go, Finally, this is actually good. <laughs> okay? We now get it. It's not silly anymore. Plus we're going home healed. And we learned something. Shock. <laughs> you know? See, can I tell you why as well? Because... They would have had access to people after he died. All of these people are coming to synagogue, to church. Get it? And so once he died, once he pays the price, you think about this. Can I give you an ideal situation really quickly? That might be the easiest way to do this. You're taking too much time. This is what I believe, why he's angry, okay? What he was, was wanting to do. He wanted to go in there. He wanted to minister to them. He wanted to show them how, to te- you know, how they could teach better sermons how they could heal the sick, and get the whole, basically the whole town coming to church every Sunday or Saturday or whatever. 
Who cares? You know, and, and then one after the other, they would then train up their ministers and send them out. And they would start up synagogues and churches or whatever, and they would just be filled to capacity because they were doing what he said to do. They would have been his disciples, and you know, and it would be like men of God and women of God that were doing this now in the right way, seeing the power of the enemy being destroyed on every front. And instead of one man having to do this all through the day and night, there would be all of these synagogues doing unbelievable things. And can I say this? It would have then once and for all established the fact that what they were believing was right. Because no other religion would be anywhere close to this. That's why he's angry. And he's trying to reason with them. He's trying to get them to turn around. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Sorry. Leon Morris explains, that the Jews in general showed great care for the animals and would take whatever action was necessary to deliver them from such a plight as the one Jesus outlined. So by saying what man, or, uh, what man of or among you, Jesus makes it personal. Amen? The fact of the matter was that it was not regarded wrong to rescue a sheep that had suffered such a mishap, regardless of whether the accident occurred on a Sabbath or not. Amen? Because it's cruel to the animals. But what's more is that, as one scholar points out, the significance of this healing is more fully seen when one realizes that according to Old Testament law, that's Leviticus 21, 24, the maimed or the disabled lepers and such were forbidden to enter the temple. And so could not participate fully in the religious life of their people. Therefore, and this is what's important, to heal such a person was to bestow both health, health and a new religious and social acceptance. Amen? So you could go back to church. So you wouldn't feel like an outcast. You'd be accepted back in the family. Are you all with me? And so all of this is what they're standing in the way of. Are you beginning to see now why Jesus is getting angry? Okay. That's why Jesus goes and say, Matthew 12, 12, Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, watch now, see, there's no more questions. He said, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That was just slap in the face. Alright, for all of their objections, for all of their, let's see how we can catch him. He just lets him have it right between the eyes now. He's just, he's, you know why? Because they can't figure it out. It's like one of those people that's just like kind of got a glaze in their eyes and they're drooling out the side of their mouth and you think, I don't think anything is going in. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm trying to say? In the spirit, you know what I'm trying to say? That's what's happening with these people. That's what Jesus is seeing and this is why it's just like he's going, oh wow, just this, this is what we have to, no wonder things are so bad. If this is what we have to work with, you know? Hello. All right. <laughs> I'll just quit and go, you know, okay. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> In other words, as William Hendrickson puts it, if on the Sabbath doing good to an animal is allowed, then all the more it is right and proper, or as Jesus put it, lawful on that day to show kindness to a man made in the image and likeness of God, may I add. Amen? I mean, if you are going to pick up a sheep, 
how much more valuable this man. This is what Jesus is trying to get across to them. You guys have got it right to a point, and then for some reason, once you get past that point, you go blind. Suddenly all your reason goes out the window. Suddenly you get caught up in all kinds of laws and legislation and rules and all kinds of things that then turns a man into something that is under the Sabbath and is being ruled by the Sabbath rather than the other way around. That the whole point of the Sabbath was so that man doesn't forget to take a day off, to rest, to recover, to remember his God. Amen? To find this center, basically. And you know what? If you're busy and something is happening, okay, make it another day. But we're not going to persecute you because the whole point of that was so that you could be better, not worse. And everything that they were doing was making man worse, not better. The exact opposite effect. All right. And so even though this man's life was not in danger, Jesus saw no reason why he would suffer uh, for one moment more. In God's eyes, ethical conduct was always far more important than ceremonial obedience. It is something the Pharisees would have understood had they truly studied the scriptures, especially Micah 6, 8, which said, He has, shown, uh, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's a good scripture. Amen? To act justly? I... I can I preach on that for a second? <laughs> okay. I want you to see something here. To act justly. So you are just. There is law there. Do you understand justice? Okay. But I want you to understand, it says, and to love mercy. You act justly, but you love mercy. Do you get that? So your actions need to be just, but the heart from which it's coming needs to be merciful. Okay. Because if you are cold hearted, then you know what? then it's going to be the case of man was made for the Sabbath. And if man gets out of line, slap, whack, put him into, you know, Sabbath jail. Amen? (laughs) Are you all with me? Okay. (laughs) So I want you to understand something that it says, yes, we are to act justly. However, we need to love mercy. Which means if there is, you know, if we see any reason why that this person has done something, they were having a bad day, they missed something, you know, I mean, they did something wrong, and it might have been something pretty bad. But you need to look at what's going on in their life as well. And it can't be that they made one mistake and they're going to suffer for the rest of their life. Hey man, we all make mistakes. If you show mercy, then whatever you sow, you will reap. Amen? And so it's always best to show mercy, because somewhere down the line, I will guarantee you, not one of us is perfect, we will run into a problem, and then we will look for that same mercy from other people. And in fact, if you are merciful, then that's all you're going to reap is mercy. Because the same people that, when they said you messed, they, you know, that they messed up and said, don't worry about it, will be the same ones that will be there. When you mess up, they'll go, don't worry about it. And vice versa. If you judge them, they will judge you back. Amen. Okay. And notice the other thing. It says, to act justly, to love mercy, and notice, and to walk humbly with your God. You can't leave that one out either. To walk humbly with your God means that you don't have a prideful attitude. That you don't, you know, the Lord is saying to you, show some compassion here. You don't know what's going on. And you say, no, you know what? They should have known better. That is pride. That is not walking humbly with your God. You all get it? Okay. Hallelujah.
This was everything these religious, I'm now over to page 17. This was everything these religious leaders were not doing at this time. To continue, we'll go on to Luke's Gospel next. It says there in Luke 6.10, And when he had looked around at them all, (laughs) you know, he didn't just scan over them, he looked at every single one of them. He acknowledged every one of them. Are you all here? Okay. In his commentary, William Hendrickson describes the scene by saying, Jesus, looking around, studies the faces of his opponents and reads their inner secrets. His cheeks are glowing with holy indignation. He is grieved at their hardness of heart. No one is able to answer him. The atmosphere in the synagogue is surcharged with uneasiness on the one hand, expectancy on the other. The man with the withered hand is still standing there, in full view of the audience. Jesus is about to perform the miracle demanded by this situation. He must act now. So, this is the point in time. He has basically challenged them. He has told them it is right to do good on the the Sabbath. Now he needs to do good. Okay? (laughs) Alright. And so it says in Luke 6 and verse 10, And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, so he's turned his attention back to the man now. So he looked at them, and then he looked at the man, and he he said, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. That's that's incredible. Amen. They just saw this. Now, what is astonishing is that they see something that, You can't question whether there was a miracle there or not. It wasn't like a headache, you know what I'm saying? Nobody can really see, you know. And and they say, oh, the headache's gone. Well, we don't know, you know. Did you really have a headache? Did it really go? We can't tell, (laughs) okay? But when you see an arm growing out, uh, we all saw that. And you've gone from, you know, having a withered hand to one that is normal like the other, which, sorry, everybody missed that. Um, <laughs> sorry, the mic went out with my hand. Um, when, you, when you see two hands and they're both the same. Remember Luke identified this as a right hand, which means he can now work as well. Amen. Something incredible has just happened. All right, I want you to keep that picture in your mind. The Spirit-filled Bible says, Note the two imperatives. Step forward, verse 3, stretch out your hand. The miracle was deliberate and aggressive. Okay. Additionally, William Hendrickson points out here that he did not touch the man. I think this is very significant. In fact, not even by means of a single syllable did he order the hand to be cured. He merely told the man to stretch out his hand. And it was made well. He literally willed it and performed the cure. It's very interesting. One of the things that happens, remember um, those people that Peter's shadow was in the vicinity of were getting healed? That kind of a deal. Okay? That he was just there. And remember the man at the pool of Bethesda? He didn't say anything to him. He just kind of said, go home. (laughs) Okay? He didn't command his legs to to have strength and things that we need to do right now before we get to that stage. All right. Uh, it was just, he said, um, pick up your bed, go home. It's okay. It's like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> uh, do we not understand the request we made just before you said that? That we can't get from here to there? And you're just telling me to get up and go? I know, we'll have a break in a minute. <laughs> okay? 
I want you to catch some of these things as, as they're happening. Because this was done in a place where there was opposition. Are you all with me? And Jesus contrast to Jairus' daughter. She's dead. He gets rid of everybody that's there. Here, he can't throw the Pharisees out. And he didn't make an excuse. He didn't say, you know what? This man would have been healed today if not for all of your unbelief. Interesting, isn't it, that he didn't go down that road? He just said, come here, stand over here for a minute. Yeah, okay. He said, stand here. He looked at them and says, what's bad? You know, are we meant to do good or bad? What is your problem? He's basically saying to them. And he gets mad with them, looks at them and says, you know what, so stretch out your hand. And he goes, oh, there it is. Are you all here? And he's just like, do you see? You'd think that they would repent at that point, huh? Seriously? You see such a miracle, you see their hearts are getting harder and harder to the place where they're going to commit murder. Are you all with me? Alright, and you need to see this. It is a journey that they're on. Instead of becoming softer and more pliable and receiving from Jesus, they're becoming more and more hard-hearted to the place where Jesus is going to look at them, identify them and say, you are no longer of your father God, you are now of your father the devil. You've shown your true colors now. You, you, you cross that line now. You're on the other side. Let me read this one last thing and we'll, we'll take a break. This was certainly a memorable Sabbath. Right in front of the entire congregation, the man's hand, which was once shriveled, shrunken and powerless, filled out to normal size and returned to full strength. Boy, somebody would have remembered that. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll pick up on the, the top of page 18.